All right, guys, welcome back to the Adam Peter Fitness Podcast. Today on the show, I have Kelly Mann, who most of you guys might know, um, at least in the US uh, APL scenes, most of my, most of my listeners are in the United States. Um, she coaches Megan Scanlon, but she also coaches several powerlifters. She just got back from USAPL Rider right Nationals and had three athletes that, that competed there and did rather well. Um, but Kelly is the founder of uh, Perform Motion. I believe that you have your degree in exercise physiology, correct? Yeah, I do. Cool. So and she also like, she's on according to the website so that she doesn't practice that uh, anymore. But now she's just a full-time powerlifting coach, which is living the dream, right? Uh, somewhat. <laughs> yeah, I know. But um, yeah, anyways, she's uh, got a lot of really good accolades with basically having a lot of, helping a lot of athletes get, get stronger. And um, I, if you can, you guys come across her page, which I'll have linked down in the show notes. Like I really, really love her content. She, I think she has a really unique way of thinking about things and programming in particular. Um, so we're definitely going to talk about some of those topics, but um, is there anything I missed about you? Not really. I think you did pretty well. Yeah. Cool. I think that, I think you summed up what I'm doing now. So which is good. <laughs> awesome. So I guess just to, um, you know, dive, dive, dive into things. Um, I think one of the biggest things with power power thing is like, remember, you know, we all starts from, the micro cycle and the training week and really with in my opinion is developing predictable fatigue patterns across the training yeah. week um and really every single the thing the thing that is tricky is that each lift operates on its own micro cycle and it has its own fatigue patterns and one of the most tricky thing is how do we actually manage the, the fatigue on all lifts to make sure that our primary days are strongest and that's also has to do like frequency and whatnot so i guess just uh you know a simple question there is how do we actually go about developing those predictable fatigue trends and how can we, what are some programming strategies to make sure that happens? Okay. Um, so as you just mentioned, first of all, the microcycle is where it starts, right? So when we're developing a microcycle, um, the first part is you want to ask the athlete, you know, the type of athletes you're going to get that come to you are people who have a lot of training data, people who have some training data, and then people who have absolutely no training data. So the first thing I'm going to do is ask them how much training data they have and do they feel it's reliable? If they say yes, then I'm pretty much going to follow what they have been doing and putting my tweaks on it. So with fatigue in general, we know that there's some type of programming that's more fatiguing than the other. So like um, straight sets is a really good example. Uh, it's more fatiguing than using percentage-based uh, dropdowns and things like that. Or, or RPEs. Um, so if a lifter comes to me and they've got a lot of training data, but they give me hints and clues that um, they may be fatigued from deadlifts and then they're doing straight straight set deadlifts, I'm just going to put my spin on it to control that fatigue without without changing the position of it in the micro, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, if they have some training data, I will ask them uh, what it is and what it looks like for them, and then I'll build myself around it. Um, and then if they've got none, I'm just going to use what I know has worked for lifters who are similar to them with gender, size, leverages, how long they've trained for, um, and what they say feels good for them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two is you're going to look at the days that they train. A lot of people make mistakes with their program um, only with um, the days that they train and how they've laid out the lifts. That's pretty much it. They're doing the right thing. But they might be, um, they might be saying that they're carrying fatigue or uh, and they're a big fella, uh, but they're squatting and deadlifting back to back. So if they're doing that, I'm just going to pull it apart a little bit without changing what they're doing. If that makes sense. Um, if they're saying if they're small and they're saying that squats feel heavy, I'm probably going to put their squat closer together or have more volume and intensity in one in both of the days to see if that makes them. Um, less detrained going into each week does that make sense so that's right so that's, just, that's just, where i'm gonna start keep going so like with um like a uh like a bigger person then you're mostly going to be like very on the side of that it usually has to do with like being overly fatigued um is that what yeah. i'm getting from and as a smaller person like lack of like actual enough volume lack of stimulus yes uh, yeah, I, so I think that that's a really i think that's a really interesting insight because like i noticed that like with, with myself too like like my bench press like isn't very strong and like, it's like a lot of my little athletes will say, I'm playing about bench feeling heavier. I'm feeling like fatigued. I'm like, I think you just need more. 
Yeah, depends. A bench is a little bit different. It, it's either more or less. It depends with bench. So how would you go about with, with that with bench? I would look at the way that I've laid out the micro cycle and I would look at the look at the where I've put the primary day. I would look at which primary day. If there's two primary days, I'm going to look at which one's stronger over a course of um, one to two blocks. And then I'm going to have a look at the, the um, preceding stimulus, right? So with bench, it's always about the preceding stimulus for that day. So if if the a lifter is telling me that they feel fatigued or um, under fatigued, I won't change anything until I look at the previous the 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 preceding stimulus. So let's just say that the primary day at the start of the week is stronger than the end of the week, but we want the end of the week to be stronger. I'll look at what's happening the day before that. Um, primary day at the start of the week and I'll see if the stimulus matches before the end of the week right if it doesn't I might make some changes to the end of the week to see if it gets stronger if it does then it might be that they're just doing too much in what um, before the end of the week does that make sense yeah 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 and, and for some I've had for some lifters that do their primer sessions and then they have a good run with bench and their primer session might be three singles at RP5. They have a good run with bench and then all of a sudden they say bench feels heavy. Instead of me changing and thinking that they need more sets and reps on that primer day, I might just say to them, I just want you to hit, because they might be hitting the same thing on that primer day. Uh, I'll just say to them, I want you to hit a true RP5 on that primer day. And all of a sudden it's gone from, X amount to higher by like 10 kilos. And then that's the stimulus that they need. So it's just that they didn't change the stimulus in that primer day to make that, to make that um, primary day show up. Mm, so basically like raising that a baseline so then that peak can actually be like pro pro progressing. Yeah. Because you're progressing in strength, right? And that's right. the aim of the game. We want to progress in strength. So with bench press specifically, I really lean against making changes to the micro in ways that it's laid out, I lean into changing it with stimulus. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's like, it's like, and that, I'm just going to see frequency, we know that, particularly with bench press, seems to be such a big driver of that adaptation. Yeah, and frequency got a big rap for a little while, and then, <clears throat> and now it's kind of not. And it's kind of not because adding more bench just, doesn't really work if the stimulus that you've already got in the micro isn't working. So you're better off changing or adjusting the stimulus that you already have. So let's just say, let's just say day two is always four by four at five, six, seven, eight. You know, it might be that you got stronger and that four, that RP4 is actually what you used to hit for an RP6. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Or it could be the other way around. It could be that you got stronger, so now your primary day is heavier, so that RP4 actually needs to be an RP3 now. Right, right. You get what I mean? Because yeah, there's an absolute load equals more fatigue too. Um, it does, right? Yeah. So it yeah. depends. So it depends. And then so, but the thing is, if you change the layout of the micro or you add another day or you take a day away, then you have to wait another whole block or two to see what's happening. And the thing is you can't change it every block because the adaptations to what is actually in the block haven't taken place yet. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. Right. So basically that's a way to basically make sure we actually are, it's essentially a whole conversation of seamless versus like, or signal versus noise. I mean, yeah. you are changing around the entire like week. You're having a lot of noise, especially yes. you know, assuming that a lot of things you know probably were working if you stumbled upon that micro in any ways, and then just make yeah. some small adjustments to the micro and knowing how to do that is really yes. how you prefer to you know make sure athletes keep progressing. Yes, and uh, yeah, and that's right, and it's really because we bench so many times a week, it's really easy to overanalyze it and think that it's not working. But the athlete needs to remember that where they are in prep how um, that bench runs on a weekly cycle, not a four-week, five-week cycle. So their bench cycle, they might run a six-week block, but their bench cycle might be a three-week block. So they need they need to find that bench cycle. So it's gonna it's a bit finicky but it, and it takes a while, but when you get it, it's fine. And also bench, 
if, if something's happened and you miss a day or um, you have to start the block lower or you have to start the block, you accidentally started the block too high, bench, you know, you can auto-regulate one or two of the days, but it will throw off what happens for that cycle. Does that make sense? Right. So bench, bench, you really want to get a roll on each each cycle and you really want to find that magic uh, stimulus for each day to make that primary day show up. Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned one of the... Go ahead. Keep going. You mentioned having like multiple primaries for like bench, um, which yep. is something that I've also started to do with one athlete. So essentially like, would you do like that? Like basically like you have like an, a regression, like the RPE top set or you're mostly like top sets on those days. Um, you yep. get like two like, it's like, I, I know that like, I had a conversation with like Aiden Raider about this, but like you're talking about like primary sessions and whatnot and um, how like in, in general, as you said, like bench typically has a sort of micro cycle. I'm assuming that's because some people's micros are even less than seven days with, with bench. Yes, big time. So uh, um, you may see uh, smaller lifters um, have two days of bench or even any lifter have two days of bench that feels strong. So, you know, one day might be have uh, a rest day that precedes it and one day might have the primary day that precedes it. So we're constantly looking for whether or not this lifter needs a rest day or stimulus the day before. And this changes. It changes um, due to multiple reasons. A lot of reason is fatigue and a lot of reason is progression. So if you have two primary days, um, the good thing is you can figure out which day you need, which day you need to taper the bench press from. So I've had lifters that they go the whole way through their prep and five weeks out or one block out, all of a sudden the other day feels the strongest one. Instead of me trying to manipulate volume and intensity and make that day down below show up, I'll just run with the run with the day that feels the strongest. I'll just keep going. I so say just keep pushing that day that feels the strongest. And then if it if you get three weeks out and it still feels strong, you may back the single off on the primary day. And then I would just taper from that day. It makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, a lot and of it, it comes works. down to the athlete, like it, also, you know, executing the, the plan properly and basically understanding, yeah. well, you know, based on how much, how far we push intensity on each day, we can manipulate yeah. essentially, you know, our neurological fatigue patterns. Yeah, exactly. And the thing with bench is it really, um, it, the stimulus the day before is the ticket. It has to be. It's if you you can run the same. All you need to do with the um, you know, tapering of competition. And so let's just say the Monday shows up. You just need to mimic what happens on that Sunday, Saturday. If you can do that, going into the competition and control fatigue, it will feel strong. I really like that concept because that makes a lot of sense. Because like I've always conceptualized this as like. We were sort of like I, I always thought like we we're building like our baseline up on a secondary day, but like I also like that also that helps me understand things better too, because like from a conceptual framework, because we're sort of like basically just trying to bridge our fatigue patterns so that we don't get like detrained or we're not getting like too um much stimulus going into our primary days. And that's essentially yeah. the purpose of the secondary and tertiary days. And then that probably with frequency like has to do with how much skill yeah. practice does that person need. Yeah. And yeah, the thing with bench and the thing with all lifts is I really lean away from looking at primary, secondary, and tertiary days now. I don't really yeah. look at it like that because if we look at it like that, then we box our own thinking into making sure that that secondary day isn't as strong as that primary day. So, but for whatever reason, if you get a lifter and that secondary day all of a sudden shows up as stronger because they might be doing things the day before their primary day, they might be have started to go for an eight-hour hike or – they might be getting less sleep or, you know what I mean? They might have started school. Instead of me trying to go, okay, let's change things to make the primary day stronger, I might flip the single to the secondary day and say, okay, cool, your secondary day is now your primary day if that is feeling gotcha. strong. We're going to run with that and I can just taper it into the competition with that. That allows me to have more of a open mind on what the micro cycle actually looks like because if we get stuck in patterns where we must have one day stronger, you end up changing um, too many things too often to try and make that day stronger because of what's happening with the lifter with being a human being. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I 
I I do agree with days out to competition. Like I really do agree with it, but I also see that on a on a sliding scale. Unless you are someone who li- lifts a lot of absolute load, does that make sense? And even then, I've had um, I've had chats with Matt Gary, um, and uh, he says with Ray that in the peak, he he doesn't have a set time that Ray will do his last deadlift and last squat. It's all based on fatigue. So he might do one competition where he does his last deadlift. 10 days out and he might do another competition where he does his last deadlift 14 days out. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You can only do that when you really understand your lifter and you really understand what they need for stimulus. But if we get stuck in patterns where we have to see one day a week or only two days a week be strong, we're missing the lowest hanging fruit, which could be any day of the week can be stronger than each other and it's and it changes. Right. And to basically not, not short-term ourselves from like basically like a nocebo effect saying, well, yeah. this is my primary day. I'm going to be weak and my performance isn't yeah. going to be very high. Because I've yeah. noticed that for myself too. Like, um, like on my second year days, like on my squat, like I'm pretty strong because like, I have like four days of recipe for it. Um, but I yep. need to, my, my that, that squat session to be closer together to my primary. So I don't feel like DD trains. I'm kind of done with squats. Yeah. And that's where communication with the athlete and the coach is vital. Right. It's really important that the athlete says to the coach, hey, Tuesday feels stronger than Saturday. Okay, cool. All right, thanks for letting me know. Let's have a look at that. Or the coaches, or the athlete is sending the coach um, videos because athletes will get stuck in patterns as well. So if they've always done four sets of four of a four squat at RP5 on a Tuesday and their primary day is going up in weight and they don't need static RPE, they might end up detraining because that RP5 on a Tuesday gets to be an RP3, but they've always done that load. So if I'm going to look at that Tuesday when they send that to me and their RP5 starts to get really fast, I'm going to say, add more load. It's time to add load. Does that make sense? Right. So with, um, you know, you said basically, uh, I'm assuming that you want to like some slowdown then on like each of the days or like at least like some strain or challenge of position on each of those days that you want to like, there's like an RPE5. Yeah. yeah 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 i am so that like rp5 might be a poor squat or a tempo squat or something like mm-hmm. that but if it ends up looking if the lifter ends up looking like they're performing better on that day and we're far enough away from competition i might play with that day by putting in a top set just to see what happens and they'll tell you they'll say this day always feels so good do you get what i mean and mm-hmm. and and when I, usually when a lifter says this day always feels so good, it just means they're going in strong. I so think that's a really great, up- yeah. It's like, like, why not put in that a higher intensity stimulus? Because if we're going for strength, like that's the number one driver of intensity. You know, the strength, yep. so the more often we can push that, it makes sense. We're probably going to see faster progress. Yeah, that's right. And then if they're always going into that day strong, and then they say to me, but I always feel not as, and then Saturday, which might be their competition day, doesn't feel as strong. I'm just going to look at the stimulus preceding that day. If I feel that the stimulus preceding that day is adequate, then I'm going to look at externals. So if they're externals um, uh, impacting the strength on that day, then I might put a top set earlier in the week and say, let's just push this top set earlier in the week for a couple of blocks and see what we get. Well, I like that a lot. So we yeah. kind of talked a little bit about on um, different sets for structures, like kind of along those lines there. Um, and, you know, we are going to like top sets and like in straight sets. Um, but, obviously, you know, obviously we can use this, like different set structures to obviously, to obviously manipulate that fatigue. So, you know, there's several different types of sets of structures, I guess, like sort of like what are your favorites to utilize with lifters and like what might be the context which you might make that training decision for them? Um, again, I'll ask the lifter what they use first. Um, uh, recently I had a lifter come to me and she was all, she was, a, she's a 84 and she was doing all straight sets, um, for everything. And then she was just, just said, I'm tired and I feel beat up all the time. So in my head, that just means you're doing too much. So for that, I'm just going to add in. Uh, instead of doing a straight set, I might add a top set RPE um, and then I might add a percentage back down. So that's that's standard. I might do start with that first. Then if I feel that isn't working or the person's not getting enough stimulus, I'll ask them, what do you feel? 
and they might say the top set always feels um, heavy, but the back downs feel really good. So in my mind, I might go, okay, cool. So if the top set always feels heavy, but the back downs feel good, what I might do is I might flip that to ascending sets. So then they can work their way up to the top set. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But I won't do that until I've seen enough training, enough training data to do that. So Meg's a great example. Uh, Her secondary squat day was always ascending sets and she loved it. Her primary day was uh, top set back down. And then we ran that for like two years almost. Um, And then it got to the point where she could not progress the top set on that primary day. It just could not progress because there was too much fatigue built up from the rest of the week. So she got stuck at around, I think it was like 175 for four. I let that go for ages. Um, And then all of a sudden I was was like, let's make your primary back downs ascending. Um, And then that was before Worlds prep. We ran into Worlds prep with ascending back downs and now she's up to like 185. She'll probably hit 190 for four. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Just because that stimulus on that primary day, it's not that it wasn't working, but she wasn't able to progress it because that top set was just gassing her too much. Does that make sense? Right. So So um, you basically take out like the top. So sorry. (laughs) My bad. I just flipped it to ascending. So she would do her top set and then the back downs were ascending. Okay. And that was to yeah. basically get more, basically raise the stimulus on that day because like it's not keeping the same load on all the down sets or was no, that? No, like- it, it was because this, it was to change the stimulus. So she f- was finding after the top single, after the top double, that that first back down felt really heavy, but the first, yeah. So I was changing the way this, the, it was exactly the same stimulus, but I was changing the layout of it. So for, for her, I, I can't explain why some lifters do really well on ascending work. They just do. Uh, you know, we kind of, you know, liken smaller lifters to do well with ascending work, but I've got big guys that do really well with ascending work as well. Um, so that the actual numbers on paper didn't change for the first block, but she felt stronger and felt more confident. So over the course of, you know, three, four blocks, that 175, got that 170 got to 180 does that make sense and for someone who lifts a lot of absolute load moving a set of four from 170 to 180 over a course of a over a course of three or four blocks is pretty big for a small for a small female absolutely that's like a five percent increase in load exactly yeah so with the sending sets then um it's like i'm one of those lifters too that i do respond pretty well to them um i find that for myself um it helps me out with that because that confidence exactly that um, it's yeah. also a way to make sure I don't overshoot because sometimes I will overshoot, <laughs> um, especially like yes. like deadlift. My deadlift is rather sensitive to that to that fatigue, but my squat also is too. Especially if you take into consideration with my micro, my Friday yeah. is my secondary day, and then my Monday is my primary day on squat. Doing a setting work there helps make sure that I don't get too beat up. Like if I done, I've done some walk in straight sets, I was yep. like I don't feel strong. I feel still really like fatigue going into my my primary day put it to ascending work, and then all of a sudden my primary day feels absolutely money. Perfect. There you go. So that, then you know that. And if you've worked with a lifter um, that has done ascending work, and I've done this just recently, I changed the ascending. He'd been doing ascending work for a really long time. We're just trying to get past it, past it, not a plateau, but we just want to really push past a number for a competition coming up. I tried a top set back down for one block. It was terrible. There's just, I just could see there was no progress. He just didn't have that pop in his squats that he usually has. So straight up, I was like, so I look at it and I look at the progression and I don't think, and I look at what I had changed. And because I'd only changed it from ascending sets to a top set back down, I knew that that was the thing that was holding his squat back. So I just went straight back to ascending work. So in terms of actually performing ascending work, um, how do you prefer to instruct your lifters to perform their ascending volume? Uh, in terms of RP, like load increase, like I, I know some people will, you know, like how much is there certain that you try to tell them to do, or are you just like, hey, it's just in general work up to this RP. It doesn't really matter. Um, it depends. So some lifters will respond to both all days going up at the same time. Some lifters will, and with ascending work, 
uh, and some lifters will respond to uh, ascending um, ascending work on the secondary day that is kind of capped at a load. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I won't, we won't know that until we run it and something happens. So um, if we run it and then all of a sudden, let's just say the lifter on a secondary day is doing five, six, seven. If they get to five and it's a six-week block, if they get to five, six, seven, and all of a sudden at the four-week mark, their primary day um, tanks, I'm going to look at what happened on that secondary day, and then I'm going to look at previous data. So I did this going into raw nuts with Jackie. Previous data um, showed that when she hit X amount on the secondary day, the primary day went really well. Uh, into the meet, she surpassed that stimulus on that secondary day and she failed her squat. So that means that there's too much stimulus preceding what was happening on that secondary, on that primary day. So for the next week, all I did was I just prescribed the ascending work on that secondary day and a squat went really well. So again, going into like, if they feel like pretty beat up from that going into their primary day, you'll then you'll start to cap that. If not, you'll be like, hey, let's just, run this and like you auto-regulate as you want to, and then we'll see what that works out. Exactly. So it depends on what's happening with the athlete. It depends on what their previous data is showing you. And if they're really good with their RPE and they're really consistent with their lifts, it becomes very easy to see what's happening. If that makes sense. If they don't fill out the sheet, they don't send you videos. You don't have that open communication. You don't have the lines of this feels good, this doesn't feel good, open, then it's really hard for me or us to see what's happening because there's no actual information. There's just I failed my lift. And a lot of the times because, you know, we run a block off training, but the weekly adjustments and the weekly stimulus really affects each other in all of the lifts when you have the micro set out really well. When you have the micro set out really well and the lifter has got – and the, and the lifter is use that micro for a, a, a fair long period of time, you can see the weekly adjustments that you need to make to make that primary day feel stronger. And it's all it is adjusting. You're adjusting if they're doing too much or if they're doing too little. And for lifters who are really strong, uh, the difference in five kilos or seven and a half kilos um, in intensity on their secondary day, if they're used to progressing that, is huge. It can really affect it. Right. And so sometimes like, that's just something I also do with my, my athletes is like, I'll basically keep their secondary days or, you know, you're going to be talking about that not being something that you do, but let's say that are non-primary day, the one I don't expect to be able to feel strong, having that be like more of like, let's just a static RPE. And I'll tell them, hey, yeah, let, let, let's, let's progress our, our top set uh, yeah. or that that day I, I want to be strongest. And that's be a really easy way to help control that fatigue, especially if yeah. they are stronger. Yeah, so you might even have the static RP, but you might find that um, even though the RP is static, the load still goes up weekly because of those weekly adaptations that they're making. If the load, if you've got the static RP and the load goes up weekly, you'll be able to see the stimulus that they need to perform because it will. You'll they'll either perform or they won't. Right, and basically, whenever we're just like looking at that, um, so you know, you're also you're, all, you're talking about a lot. of This comes down to the to the athlete and what they're communicating to you and so and you're yeah. like when you are a coach then like what are some big things that you can like tell athletes in general listening to this like how do you get the most out of coaching how do we create like the best athlete relationships so that we can actually you know this, this is a huge part of or really assessing plateaus too and, and overcoming yeah. them it all comes down to the, the, this communication aspect of things i think that lots of times yeah. lifters can that's they're the reason why they're not progressing more is because yeah. their communication is subpar they actually aren't really paying attention for their signals yeah. or they don't have an understanding of what that might mean. Like you don't need yeah. to be a coach, but you do need to understand why you might be feeling a certain way. So I'll set out, I'll set out the expectations to start with. So the expectations are for me and for a lot of coaches, send your training videos as you train. I might not respond then, but I'm going to be looking at them during that day because, you know, most online coaches have a 24 hour period that they respond. So for me, um, if I've got lifters who are um, in the States, I'll be responding right now, knowing that they just trained. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. if they don't send me those videos until two days later, it's beyond, it's happened. You've already done two training sessions. Like I can't adjust anything or I can't look at look at what's happening on the program 
if you send me your uh, lifts two, three days after you trained, then it's just simple. So it's like report how it feels. Then if they report how it feels, then I can open communication with that. So, um, I, you know, I like it when um, athletes will say, set one, RP6, this feels stronger than last week. And we're in week three. Perfect. Excellent. I'm doing the right job. Does that make sense? Mm. So that's how I'm assessing it. If I don't get that and I just get videos with no context, I'm just looking at someone's technique. And I really, unless it's really glaring technical issues, I won't really change too much unless it's like really need to, like, you know, not enough legs on bench press or, you know, can't hit depth on squats. Um, Because firstly, I'm just looking at the stimulus then I'll respond with opening communication. So if they say first set feels really heavy compared to last week, I'll just look at them and then I'll go, okay, cool. Why do you think? And then we'll open that. If they say, I have no idea, I'll say, okay, let's run with that and see. If they say, oh, well, I just PR'd my bench the day before, I'm going to go, okay, cool, probably don't do that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be like, you know, looking at that over a period of time. If I don't get that, my communication, I'll chase it for a little while. My communication will go down. And then I sometimes <clears throat> I've just felt like I'm just copying and pasting because I've got no, I've got nothing. All I'm going to do is RP five, six, seven, eight, nine, because there's no information. So if there's no information for me to go off, then there's nothing that I can do. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so like really just it's as simple as like, do I feel strong or do I feel not on certain <laughs> days? All I need to know, do you feel strong or do you not feel strong? That's right. it. Like that, that, yeah. that's, that's our only job, <laughs> to get you stronger. Yeah, that's it. My job is to get you stronger. So, and, and sometimes um, with the athlete, if they don't feel comfortable reporting that. So if the athlete says, I don't like to think about that, I'll be like, okay, cool. So I'm just going to look at bar speed. So some athletes won't know if they feel stronger or they don't feel stronger. If they don't know, that's cool. I'm not going to force it out of them. I'm just going to, I'm just going to look at bar speed. You know, some lifters will say, eh, always feels the same. Okay, cool. If eh, it always feels the same, I'm just going to be looking at how fast they're moving and is the load going up. If they're moving faster and the load is going up, they're getting stronger. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I guess I'm going over, um, you know, you started, you know, I think that you talk a lot about like your own training system and I like you have like your own like very unique way of thinking as well as some other um, coaches I, I've talked to. Um, is there like a certain way that you sort of came like, up with this sort of way of, of thinking or is just like how much does your exercise physiology background impact this? So you're referring to how we think about movement? More so like programming in general, because I, I think that, you know, I, I, and in the States at least, like it's very common, like everybody talks about primary, secondary, tertiary, like partner, like whatever, yeah. like I, I, you're, you're probably the first coach I've, I've talked to. And it might be something that's like, that's a States thing, but like we, we do think about things in that sort of, of way. And it was like objectifying things. I had, I think the reason I asked this was I, I talked to Mike Kishir about this and he obviously has his own training yeah. system. Um, and like, I think every coach sort of does based off their own experience, but like, how does you sort of come up, come up with that? And like, do you think it's important for coaches in general to develop, like, I guess it's like more so like a decision-making process? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the way we look at it and it's hard because the more of high level athletes I work with, the less I think this way anymore, but it all comes back to center of mass, right? And if you're working with a high-level high athlete, it's easier for them to organize themselves to improve their center of mass. That's just why they're strong. So, But if I'm working with someone who needs help on that, firstly, we're going to look at their center of mass and how they hold their center of mass. And the center of mass may be biased to the front of their foot or maybe biased to the back of their foot, depending on the shape of their spine. So if you've got someone who is really good at sprinting and really good at running and, you know, is really good at benching, they might bias um, more to the front of their foot or really good at squatting, sorry. They might bias more to the front of their foot because we need to actually push off our big toe when we squat. If you've got someone the opposite, right, um, really good at deadlifts, um, really good at pushing their rib cage back, they might bias more back. 
Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at that, we're looking at the shape of their spine. We're going to put the same exercises in, but we might change the constraint. So if there's someone who needs to get more uh, hip flexion or someone who needs to get more forward in their deadlift, I might put them on a really high heel elevated um, position to perform their secondary RDL or perform that before they uh, deadlift because that's going to help them to feel what it feels like to move their center of mass forward really quickly. And because we're made of, you know, we're made of uh, water, we can actually, we can move our body in position. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The more load that people lift, the harder it is to be able to do this. And that, that also just coincides with, they just get better at lifting. So Mm -hmm. if a lifter is really good at lifting, I'm not going to put hardly any constraints in their accessories. If a lifter needs to work on their center of mass, I'm going to put more constraints on their, um, on their accessories to help them manage or help them figure out where the center of mass is. And for some people, it becomes a never ending battle because of the lift, the amount of load that they lift. So if they've got a really big rib cage that pushes backwards, got really long arms, you look like you're someone like that. You might need, you know, you might need a high heel elevated RDL so you can figure out what it feels like to move forward. So you don't get stuck in your heels so much when you're deadlifting. Right. But you, and then you do you'll do that and then you'll practice that when you deadlift. That's pretty much, you know, and then you're looking at you're looking at range of motion, right? For someone like you, the bench press, I'm gonna say, okay, pushes his, his rib cage goes back really easy. If the rib cage goes back really easy, his humerus is gonna move into internal rotation. Bench press needs a lot of internal rotation. So if you don't have any because you're already there, it's gonna feel really heavy on the chest. So does that make sense? Yeah, that's, so I can that's see. exactly me. <laughs> so I'm going to give you exercises in your arms program that gives you more external rotation before you bench. So if you have more external rotation before you bench, you have more room to move into internal rotation. Then it feels less heavy on the chest. Right, it's right. not going to make you a better bench presser, but it's just going to make it make give you more range of motion so you've got m- more to play with. So the more as a powerlifter – you know, we tend to lose range of motion and we only need a small amount, but the small amount that we have is vital. And you right. can use your accessories to open up those ranges of motion really quickly. And then that will cross over into your primaries. Does that make sense? Right. So like, for example, it's like, but for me, like I, you're absolutely correct. Like I have a hard time yeah. accessing, you know, that, that external rotation at my shoulder. So maybe, you know, doing like you say, do um like lateral raises or something um to like open things um, up and give you like more like degrees of freedom. Uh, I would probably give you something like a wide grip, a wide grip row and a shrug. So if you have a wide grip row and a shrug, that's gonna help you to open up this area because it's this area here that's closed, if that makes sense. So yes, that's, yes, that's like exactly that. where I feel tightness all the time. <laughs> Anything overhead, so any overhead work is going to give you more external rotation. So you might do overhead dumbbell pressing as an accessory, and then you might push your neck back as you do it to open up this chest area. Um, and then anything as simple as tricep work. Tricep work is 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 you know, so good because you can just change the way your body is shaped around the tricep work. So you might hit a tricep extension and overhead where you're really pushing your ribs forward. That stuff really helps. Um, and the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more your body will shape into what it needs. Does that make sense? That's yeah. why you, that's why you probably love deadlifts because you're already in that really good position. All you need to do is literally hinge over, bend over and pick it up. Right. That Does that make sense? So like, it's like, you're already good at that. So how can't, so we'll just change what we're doing in some of the accessories in your program. So you can feel better benching. If you if you're an athlete and you feel better benching, you're going to be more um, inclined to like benching and then you're going to be more inclined to think about your benching and then you're going to be get better at benching. Does that make sense? And then, yeah. you know, but one of the tricks is to not get stuck in the weeds with it. You know, so I just you don't want to get stuck in the weeds with changing so many accessories all the time to try and 
change the angle of someone's humerus so they can bench better. You know, you still want to work on the actual bench press itself. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta get the good post about that. Um, we're talking about like how like more muscle mass like does not always equal like a better powerlifter because there's still the large skill component to that, and that's kind of talking about this with the technique. Yep. Yeah, definitely. There is still a skill component. So it's like as a coach, you just want to assess, you know, is the skill component sound? Yes. Okay, cool. If the skill component is sound and they look like they're, you know, they've got everything set, then there's something missing outside of that. Right. Yeah, no, and that's, um, you know, I, I definitely will say that well, I, I do feel like I feel a little slightly more comfortable like benching and I feel very comfortable benching. Obviously, I'm better at, at, at that lift, but I know like squats, like, they're really uncomfortable for me because I have these really long femurs and like I get a lot of like I have a lot of center mass issues like especially like around the hole because for, for somebody like me who has an issue around like you know the hole and feeling comfortable especially into and out of the hole I think a lot of the first feel like this too because we see a lot of like deceleration as the loads get heavier um like mm. is like what sort of you know using me as a case study like what would you go about to maybe troubleshoot you know that phenomenon with the longer femur short torso squatter so given that I know by looking at you, I know that you can push your ribs back really easily. And as I just said before, someone who can push their ribs back really easily is probably going to get stuck in their heels. So I'm going to go, I would be looking at whether or not you're starting in your heels and it, whether or not you can access the front of your foot. Um, I'm not really, I'm more into what's happening under the barbell at the start rather than what's happening happening in the barbell in the hole to start with, right? So if you if you could just picture yourself under a barbell, you would find it really hard to feel like you've got enough internal rotation to get the bar in the right spot to start with. That's going to push you in a position where you feel like you're forward, but your hips will be too far behind the bar. So going back to what I've already identified with what needs changing with you, which is to work on your thoracic or upper, okay, to open up more area. So we open up more area in the upper, we'll open up more area in the lower. Do you get what I mean? So yes. if we open up if we open up your ability to move your rib cage and move your rib cage forward, right, then you'll be able to move your hips under the bar because and get less backward. Do you get what I mean? Makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So you want to start with the big ticket items first. So start with the big ticket items first right? Then explain what you need to change. So I would do that with you. I would change, try and get your rib cage moving so you can move forward under the barbell. Then I'll explain to you what that feels like. So it feels like your knees are traveling a long way forward. It feels like you're able to push from the inside of the big toe. It feels like you feel a lot of quad. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. You'll still have a more hingier squatter than someone with short femurs, uh, short femurs, but it won't be that pancake squat. Right. Cool. Oh, that, that, that's, that's really awesome. And I, I like how you basically talking about it. It's so important to tell the what you're trying to, to feel with this change and, and whatnot. There's a lot of little lifters. I found that like external cueing like is hard to, especially like as an online coach, yeah. to really get the athlete to like do anything with. It has to be more so internal. Yeah, so you want to explain what it feels like and, and more than do this, you know, and then ask, how did that feel? If they say, you know, it felt like I could use the front of my foot. Um, and I'll say, good, feel my quad? And I'll say, good. I'm like, yep, I'm on the right track, you know. Uh, so instead of cueing what it should look like, you cue what it should feel like. Right. You know, I think that's a really, really big cue. You know, I'll even find myself stuck in that trap, like, Sometimes I'll go to those external cues. I'm like, oh, well, I'm like my you know, sports science brain is like, oh, let's do this. Like athletic trainer, blah, blah, blah. I, I know things about this. But then like I'm not in the, I'm not in the clinic. <laughs> like I, I can't yeah, yeah. Yeah, online. I have to basically help like basically help them understand their bodies in a way without me being there. That's why those internal cues are super important. Yeah. And you want to give people time to figure it out as well. Like center of mass is something that some lifters find really hard. So you want to give them time. It's not like, so if you've cued them something like push from, push from your feet harder and then the next session um, you might say, did, how did it go? And, you know, you want that feedback saying it was good. I could do more. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. So me saying, how did it go? 
opened up the door for them to explain to me what they're doing, not just push harder. Right. Right. Because especially like that also creates like more upbeat buy-in as they feel more involved in the process. It's like they also increase their self-efficacy with 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 movement, really. Yep. But again, if I've got an athlete who hasn't given me any information and I don't know anything about them and I've given them some pointers for for center of mass, I might say to them, I know that they won't really give me much information. So I might say, Hey, just try and push harder. Do you get what I mean? Like there's Mm -hmm. no information for me to build off to start with. So I'll only, I'll, I'll default to what I know they need to do. Okay. Yeah. I know that I I really, I really think it made a lot of sense. So I guess um, just to like finish things up then, um, you know, how do we sort of build um, muscle without really sacrificing that strength? progression over time as a powerlifter because we do know that you know there's a large correlation between muscle mass and top and strength but also that skill aspect and um i think that it's pretty difficult to know because like if you have more muscle damage that interferes with our ability to display peak force um and so how would you essentially go about managing that for an athlete after who you say is moving up a weight class like myself who needs to build some more, more muscle but we also want to make sure that we're not straying too far away from that end goal of being just stronger um, well, firstly, I somewhat disagree with that because if you've got the micro set out really well and your accessories are uh, in a position where the athlete can recover and the athlete is eating enough food, they're sleeping enough, they're hitting their RPEs well enough, then they will recover in enough time. And that's why the top athletes are as muscular as they are because they push their accessories hard. So um, if you're not recovering, I'll if I know that I've got the micro set out really well, let's just say I've got, uh, let's just say I've got two days of squatting, right? And I've got um, secondary on a Tuesday and primary on a Friday. And it's someone who's quite big. I'm not going to put any legs past the Tuesday. Do you get what I mean? Unless it's something like, and if it's squat, unless it's something like a hamstring curl or I need them to be opened up for squatting. Do you get what I mean? If I've put, if I've gone squatting on a Tuesday, then I've gone hack squatting on a Wednesday, and then I've gone primary squat on a Friday, I've just, I've cooked it with putting the hack squat too close. Does that make sense? So I need to make sure that that hack squat is probably moved to the same day as that Tuesday. That's going to give them enough time to recover. I don't believe, right? And then every athlete is going to have a threshold of accessories that they can um, recover from. Um, And we just need to find what that threshold is. I don't believe that people um, push their accessories hard enough. So I don't, if an athlete is coming to me and saying that their accessories are bleeding into their primary or their strength, I'm going to be looking at the layout of the micro and then I'm going to be asking them questions on their own recovery. So if you're going to sessions feeling not recovered in your legs um, before your squats, look at the micro. If it's set out really well and it's all good, then it's your recovery. So, and a lot of the times athletes will, um, you know, newer athletes will do their, get really strong, hit a certain range, not get strong anymore, then go all of a sudden, shit, I need to push my accessories. Um, the coach says, you don't push your accessories past an RP6. That's why you're not gaining any muscle mass. They go, shit, I need to uh, push my accessories. So all of a sudden in this block of training, they've gone from an RP6 to an RP10 on their accessories. They're not going to recover. They don't have that adaptation. And we also adapt to our accessories. So, you know, if you're used to hitting your accessories at RP9 or RP8, Every single day, you will adapt to that and still get stronger, you know. And that's why with, especially with anybody now, I don't taper the accessories until the very last week before the meet unless I know for a fact that there's someone who needs it to pull back. Right. So in your brain, it's basically, um, you know, accessories are so much part of the strength as the primary lifts are. Yes. 100%. That's why the strongest lifters are strong because they do their accessories and they push them hard so they have more muscle mass so they can fill out their weight class better. Right. So mostly weight class. Right. And so mostly essentially like, you know, 
Jordan Flagg always talked about them just ad nauseum. Like, I think the strength training equals muscle growth, regardless if it's laid, laid out well. If you're eating enough. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which is my <laughs> if, if you're eating enough, if you're not eating enough, no. If you are eating enough, yes. Right. Well, I I I think that um that's a great great answer in general. You know, like don't don't think about it. You know, and so like like as much as like like a box with your programming, everything impacts everything else. And I think that's the main takeaway I got is like pay attention to the entire split. Everything you're doing on each day, each exercise has a specific yep. purpose for for technique, for skill development, I and mean, for hypertrophy, for like you know improving access to different like, ranges of motion. And yep. the more that you kind of understand and manipulate those training variables. You ask good, good questions. You as an athlete, you communicate well to your coach. That's what is going to get you stronger. That's the secret yeah. to really becoming a world champion. Or, well, or, reaching and, genetic, and, or reaching your genetic potential. And then recovery. So the real secret right. is your recovery. The real secret is your recovery. Like, right. It's basically, we can, you, can, you can annihilate somebody, but they're not like, you know, it doesn't matter if not like recovering. So I think the right stimulus for each lift for that power yep. lifter. Yep. So for a powerlifter, it's uh, getting enough sleep, eating enough food, and getting enough movement steps. So if you get all of that, the good thing about steps is you're burning off. You know, you're you're, you're moving your body number one um, because powerlifting really is a sport where we move in only three ways. Um, walking is great because you actually get some rotation um, going through your body. You get some air going into your body. Then the more steps that you do, the more food you can eat. The more food that you can eat, the more that you recover. The more that you recover, the better sleep patterns you get. Right. Yeah. No, I I, I always I always prescribe my athletes at least like eight K steps per day as a bare minimum. Um, is there mm-hmm. is that what balance like, what you typically prescribe, or is there? It depends. It, it, if an athlete is finding it really hard to stay in a weight class, or is cutting a lot to get in the weight class, and they're only doing six to eight K steps a day. First up, it's like do more steps, get more food, recover better. Um, if an athlete is saying that they're feeling under-recovered and they're doing 20,000 steps a day, I'm going to say pull your steps back uh, 5,000, eat the same food, see if that feels better for you. There's no magic like number. Yeah. There's no magic number, but, you know, if you want to be a healthy human, they say that you should get 8 to 10 a day. Right. Totally. Well, thank you so, so much, Kelly. Um, like, really appreciate your, your insight and, and time. Um, uh, where can people find you if they want to hire you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, um, Kelly Man underscore Perform Motion. Uh, also, my email is Kelly at performmotion.net. And then you can also go to the Perform Motion Instagram, which is just Perform Motion. Awesome. I'll make sure I put all those things in the show notes. And uh, again, guys, Kelly woke up super early in Australia. So, Huge thank yeah. you for her to come on on this podcast and hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.